I set out of camp on the second and final morning, aware but not intimidated by the fact that this was my last day to hunt. My step had a decent bounce to it, and I was still gleefully taking in all of this new country. I admired the evidence of an elaborate beaver complex that had years ago flooded what was once a good-sized aspen grove. All of the trees had died and since fallen into what nature had transformed into a meadow. The dam had long ago blown out, and no beavers had since undergone reconstruction efforts. Just portions of the old dam remained in the deforested creek bottom. I was pondering the timeline of these events as I made my way up the finger I'd planned to climb to survey the larger network of feeder canyons and folds. I'd barely made it out of the trees and into the deadhead phase of the climb when in the distance a figure caught my eye. Three or so hundred yards to my right, a large bull elk strolled along the neighboring ridgeline. He was a hell of a bull, with main beams that extended well above the significant hump in his back as he fed. He tilted his head and bugled casually into the gray morning light. I had taken a knee in the sagebrush and captured all of this on video. I didn't see any other elk with him at first. I reached behind my head and removed my grunt tube that rides like a stovepipe out the top of my backpack. From this distance, I could bugle back at him and get a read whether he wanted to rumble or preferred to keep his morning on the calmer side of things. I plucked a diaphragm call from the zippered pocket of my left arm and placed it on my tongue. I put the tube under my arm, pointing it downward and behind me. I pressed my mouth against the end like a bagpipe player. With tight and controlled pressure from my own diaphragm, I pushed a careful stream of high-pressure air between the tip of my tongue and the stretched latex of the call, manipulating the sounds to scale from ultra-high pitch beginning to a gentle wave of tones. The air from my lungs came to life, magnified and reverberating by the acoustic qualities of the grunt tube. The bull turned and looked my direction, then sounded his own reply. His response and behavior was far from aggressive, though, and he sauntered uphill where I now noticed a group of cows materialize from a stand of trees. He and the scattered group of elk all pointed in the same direction now, like fish in a current facing upstream. They were moving away from me and my challenge, but with not any urgency. This reaction was not what I hoped for, but about what I'd expected. As I watched this royal herd bull, I contemplated my strategy and approach. First, I assumed I'd try to get above and ahead of him on the ridge that I was on, then cut over to his ridge, but the wind was falling with the cool morning thermals, and the sun was already beginning to heat east-facing slopes like the one that he was on. There was a prevailing wind coming from the west and blowing up the canyon. However, the day before, there was very little prevailing wind out of the west, and actually a down-canyon easterly wind was more prominent. Every approach I'd taken all season long had resulted in winding failures, and I was fed up with gambling on what I thought the wind would do, only to lose every time. For the better part of 20 minutes, I contemplated all of these variables and options. As part of this internal debate, I asked myself a fundamental question. Where is the absolute safest place not to be winded by elk? The correct answer may be obvious to you, but for me the arrival of my answer was something of an epiphany. Directly behind them, I told myself. Elk lead with their nose in almost every circumstance, always wary of where they are going, while rather disregarding where they've been, 
and herd bulls almost always bring up the rear as they trail wherever the cows go. We were approaching the time of day that this herd would be bedding down, likely in one of the ribbons of timber above us. Even though having eyes on these elk was important at the time, I opted to relinquish this advantage in exchange for a new approach. I bailed off the side of the steep finger I had just climbed, making note of landmarks where I'd last seen the elk and where I anticipated they would go should they head for bed. I hooked around the bottom of the tributary creek and lucked into a game trail that led a zig and zag course between a mosaic of noisy rock slides up the steep ridge. At absolute not a drill pace, I made my way up and around the ridge as quickly as I could, all the while taking extreme care to be as quiet as humanly possible and controlling my breath to a level that I could aim and shoot at my all-time best. This as I maintained searching eyes, scanning efficiently and accurately enough to spot an animal that's known nothing but vigilance from stalking predators every day of its wilderness existence. Calculating my every step and analyzing each element before me, especially the direction of the wind, I hustled up the backside where the elk had been milling about. The herd was no longer in the area I'd seen them last. Intuition suggested where they'd gone, and I began to inspect the frozen ground carefully for signs of where they'd headed. I honed in on a game trail that side-hilled in this direction, and sparse but fresh disturbances in the soil confirmed I was on their trail. Wandering large tracks indicated the bull was in the back, just as I'd anticipated. Cows would lead him to their chosen area to bed down for the day. They would chart their path from experience, instinct, and the clean wind inhaled along the way. Now normally, this is where my luck would run out, but this time, I'm trying a new approach, trailing from behind rather than ambushing from the side or ahead. I followed along the trail with cautious urgency, creeping over each rise with extreme care, watching, listening, and even smelling carefully. Yes, you can absolutely smell elk when you're close enough. The trail we were on led us down the side of a small canyon with a patchwork of timber separated by openings of mahogany and mixed shoulder-high brush. I looked several hundred yards ahead and caught a glimpse of one of the cows crossing a grassy meadow in the creek bottom. She vanished into the dark shaded timber on the opposite side. I advanced faster now since confirming that the herd was indeed a good distance ahead of me. I kept watching the meadow for more cows or the bull but didn't see anything. I concluded that must have been the last of the cows, and the herd bull was still on the trail that I was on, but concealed in the old-growth timber that stood before me. He wouldn't be too far behind them, though, and once again, I opted to make an aggressive move and drop straight off the trail to beeline it directly to that meadow opening. I surveyed the steep slope below me and chose a line down that appeared to be made up of soft dirt, avoiding much of the grade that was noisy rock slides and slippery hard-packed dirt. I began a mix of bounding strides and side-to-side -side hops down the steep face, at times with knees tight together like a skier descends the steepest of terrain. With such soft soil, I was able to make it to the bottom very quickly and with minimal noise or disruption. Once to the creek bottom, I could look upstream and see the open meadow where the cow had crossed. I hit another game trail and hauled ass to intercept the herd and slip into their commute. I was maybe a hundred yards shy of the clearing now, and sure enough, the bull broke into the opening and jogged across into the timber to join the rest of the herd. Cautiously, I continued to advance, spotting three or four of the cows as they fed their way uphill. I could see the bull too, as he closed the gap on his cows. Finally, the last of the cows crested out of sight, and I only had to keep eyes on the bull 
as I continued progress closing into range. Passing through a mix of tree trunks, boulders, and brush, I advanced each time the bull's vision was obstructed. He closed in on his herd, and I closed in on him, finally reaching the inner side of bow range, just as he crested, then dropped from sight over a saddle, garnished with sage and bitter brush. This was ultra alert time, high step walking as quick and quiet as I possibly could. If that bull had dallied at all after cresting this flip of terrain, I had a matter of seconds to lay eyes on him still within bow range. Like a race to go as slow as possible, I scanned the blurry seam of the two horizons above me. Ear tips or antler tips, I told myself. My God, I hope for antler tips. A few frantic steps later, I saw just that, antler tips. Each of the 12 points were polished to a bright ivory shine before tapering downward into gnarled, dark chocolate bone, eventually dropping out of sight behind the brushy horizon. They rocked back and forth as the bull moved, which was mesmerizing. Bulls looked so good quartering away. But I didn't have time to enjoy the sight. There was no time to spare for risk of something going sideways. I had my rangefinder in hand and clicked several times on the rack and the sagebrush around it. 42 yards. Money. So ultra money. Like the daydreams that have played in my mind since I was a child. I dipped back out of sight and once again unquivered my number one arrow. Dropped it through the arrow rest and clicked it to my string. I closed the caliper of my release around the string just below the knock. Tethered to my bow now and in an awkward crouch, I took a slow motion lunge step up the hill and set my feet. Still in a low profile bend, I began the motion of drawing my bow. Half my body pushing the grip away and the other half pulling the string towards me. Soon as the motion was complete, I began to straighten upright and rotate the bow vertically. While doing this, I leaned forward and a coaster-sized rock barely beneath the tip of my boot teetered up on end, then slipped free. Thump. The lazy antler tips I'd been so enthralled with snapped to attention and spun to face me head on. A startled glare fired directly back at me and I was busted. Although I'd topped the wall and was settled now in a full draw, I was still pointing the bow low and to the side as I'd raised up. I was in full camo, including my face. The timber behind me created a backdrop for my silhouette to blend with. I kept my head lowered, the bill of my hat concealing all but the blacks of my squinting eyes. I froze into my best motionless form. With certainty, he had heard the rock thump, but there was a chance he didn't actually see me. If I could hold perfectly still long enough, he may look away for the split second I'd need to complete the rotation and slide my fully drawn arrow towards him. A minute passed, and then another. I was losing it. In this awkward position, I simply could not hold the draw any longer. The bull's stare had not flinched. He had to notice the shaking beginning to develop in my arms and out the bow to the tip of the arrow, which wiggled now like a rod tip pulling a steelhead plug. But how alarmed would he be? Maybe he'd give me enough time to aim and shoot, not a chance. As I'd hoped, he did look back towards his cows, which were dispersed along the tree line another 50 or so yards beyond him. I rotated left and straightened my torso, sliding my full draw pose towards him further, but he immediately locked back onto me. I'd been in enough full draw standoffs over the years to know that he had the upper hand. All he had to do was bolt and run directly away from me, and I'd never have a viable shot. 
At this range and steep uphill circumstance, I wouldn't take a running shot either, even if it was broadside. I had to hold out hope that somehow the tension would de-escalate and he'd present something I could work with. The slight change of position was much improved for holding my draw. Regardless, at least two minutes had elapsed and I was struggling to keep everything together. My arrow was now pointed in his general direction, but I knew even the slightest movement would set him bolting and all bets would be off. It didn't matter. He'd seen enough of me at this point and erupted into a sprint angling uphill and away from me. I finally had the chance to stand completely upright and fully anchor my draw, settling the crotch of my downward pointing thumb against the corner of my jawbone, just in front of my ear. To draw his attention at this point, I launched into a series of Hail Mary calls. My personal favorite, goat bleats, blat, 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 I blurted out. The bizarre sound will often catch animals so off guard that even when fleeing obvious danger, they'll stop to look back as if to say, what the hell is that? The appeal worked to perfection, and the bull changed direction and ran now a bit across rather than straight away from me. By the third bleat, he stopped and stared back down at me. I knew he was at 42 yards to begin with, and I aligned my pins in a vertical series of colored dots just behind his shoulder. My pin for 40 yards is green, the 50 is red, and the final is orange. 60 yards. I assessed this was close to his range and the max that I would ever shoot. With a relaxed open hand, my forward fingers fanned out and pointed at him. I tilted back even a little more, and in a defining moment, my index finger fell, flipping the trigger of my release and launching my arrow on its journey at 300 feet per second. 